Welcome, everybody. I'm Steve Husky, lead pastor here at Faith Church. And we just want to say welcome to everybody who's tuning in this weekend to our worship experience. Obviously, we know many of you are a Faith Church family, and we're so excited that we still have an opportunity in this season to connect, to worship together, to grow together, man, and to experience God's presence together. However, we know many of you that are watching are not Faith Church family. You're maybe just tuning in for the very first time. And again, you've already been welcomed by our host, but I want you to know how excited we are that you're joining us. And our prayer is for everybody. If this is your first time here at Faith Church, or you've been here a thousand times, we say it every week that we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, which means whatever you're going through, whatever your challenge, whatever your struggle, whatever your issue, if you'll give Jesus the opportunity to step into your life, it'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. So listen, we started a series several weeks ago entitled Rebranded. The idea is that as we go through life, we all pick up tags and titles and names and brands. Sometimes those we put on ourselves and many times it's those that other people put on us. And it's those tags and titles that sometimes weigh us down. Sometimes it's the tag we get as teenagers in element or in middle school or high school where somebody gives us a name or a nickname that haunts us throughout our adult years. And other times it happens as young kids, maybe something our parents says to us or a coach says to us. Other times it happens later on in life, going through college or in our first job, again, where we get tagged, where we get titled, and we get branded with names that really don't define us. They haunt us and they hold us back. And so this whole series is about really finding out who you are in Christ, what our real identity is, because here's what we've been saying throughout this entire series, that when you come into a relationship with your Redeemer, you get rebranded. You get a brand new identity in Christ. What we found out in week one is this, is that we're not rejected. Every single one of us, we're accepted. And last week, we found out that we're not weak. When we come to Christ, we get rebranded as strong. And today, as we step into week three of rebranded, I want to step into a story about an unnamed man who's demon-possessed. Now, I know immediately, right, there's probably this disassociation when you hear those two things, unnamed and demon-possessed because every one of us watching this, we have a name, and probably no one, no one of us watching this feel like we're demon-possessed. So I want to spin that a different way. Instead of talking about an unnamed man who's demon-possessed, I want to talk about this idea. It's about an invisible person with an invincible problem. See, all of a sudden, when you spin it that way, it feels different because all of us watching that this at one time or another, we have felt invisible. We felt like we were overlooked, like we didn't matter. Nobody's seen us and nobody cared. Not only have we all felt invisible at one time in life, all of us have felt the weight of invincible problems where we were facing something that was way too big for us. That no matter how hard we tackled it, no matter how hard we pushed, like we just couldn't get over the top. We, we couldn't overcome it. We couldn't get through. And so really this story is a story about us feeling invisible and facing problems that are invincible. And it's found in Mark chapter five. We're gonna read the, really the, kind of the whole story. Mark chapter five, verse one through 15. If you have your copy of God's word, I wanna encourage you to flip, it out, flip through it or open up your digital device. Let's read this together, starting in verse one. It says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake. I want you to keep that in memory for later on in this message. And the they in this story is Jesus and his disciples. They get in a boat, they go to the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. 
And whenever he put, was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to him, and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission and the evil spirits came out of the man and entered into the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. That's a crazy story. I'm just telling you, listen, y'all need to read your Bible more. I know you think Netflix is entertaining, but if you think the Bible is boring, probably because you've never read Mark chapter five in stories similar to it. Again, it's this story of this guy who's demon-possessed, but Jesus shows up, this nameless guy who's demon-possessed, an invisible man with an invincible problem, Jesus shows up and sets him free. But before we get into it, I don't know about you guys, but I can remember times as a child where I had to struggle through some fears. Right, I think all of us at some point, especially when you're young, maybe you're scared of the dark, maybe you're afraid of what's going bump in the closet or maybe what's hiding underneath your bed. For me, I'm sure there was a time maybe where I struggled with those kind of fears, but the one that really sticks out the most is any time as a young kid where one of my parents would send me down into our basement to retrieve something. Right, we lived in a basement, right? Some of you guys, you don't have basements here in the South, but growing up, a lot of homes in the North have them and our basement was an old school basement. It wasn't finished, right? It had an uneven concrete floor. It's where we just kind of kept some items in stores. And so it's where the spiders were. It's where it was dark. And so anytime I had to go to the basement, I'm just telling you as a kid, man, it capitalized on my fear. And when I would finally get the item that I was sent down to get, like I would never casually walk upstairs. I always felt like whatever was hiding down there was like nipping on my heels as I ran up the steps to get out of the basement. Come on, we all had those fears. However, once I got out of my childhood, I realized like many of you that, right, that monsters aren't real, right? That that was all in my imagination. However, when I turned 17 years old, I had a radical encounter with Christ and started in my spiritual journey and started reading the Bible. And I found out that unlike what I thought, that monsters weren't real, that, man, monsters were real after all. You say, what do you mean by that? As I peeled back the pages of scripture and started following Christ and started finding out about kind of this whole thing, what I found out was that the devil and demons are real, that there's a real spiritual battle with real spiritual consequences and so when I say monster, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but come on, the idea that there is this spiritual entity that we can't see and that there's a real battle going on, that's probably more frightening than what you feel as a kid hiding underneath your covers. 
But as we dig into this, ultimately the reason I bring that up is because the guy we're going to talk about for the next few minutes, again, we find out a big part of his story is that he's demon-possessed. Now, some of you are watching this and you might say, come on, Pastor Steve, do you really believe in demon possession? I mean, that seems a little far-fetched. That seems a little much. And ultimately, there are two ex- extremes that I think you can go to. Both are unhealthy when you deal with the topic of the devil and demons and all kinds of things like this. Ultimately, one extreme is to underestimate who he is and whether he's real or not. The other side is to overestimate who he is and what he does, right? And some of you, man, right, as soon as I started talking about demon possession, you lean back. Maybe some of you thought you were gonna click a different pastor and listen to a different message because surely you're not down with any, anything with demon possession. You might be in the school of underestimating the real spiritual enemy we have, the real battle we're in, et cetera. However, if you're like, you leaned in when I brought this topic up and you're like, come on, pastor, I would love a 10-week series, you might be overestimating. Ultimately, we know because the Bible teaches it and Jesus dealt with it, the demon possession was real. There really is a devil. He, he is real. In fact, as you read through the scripture, we find out that God's word gives us several different titles defining who the enemy is, how he works, and what he does in our spiritual battle that has real consequences, right? Therefore, I can give you more, but just real quick, if you're taking notes, we find out that the enemy, our spiritual enemy, the devil, is defined or given titles this way that he's an accuser, he's a deceiver, he's a destroyer, and he's a tempter. When I say an accuser, I mean like all of us have felt that whisper in our heart where you're no good, you don't matter, like why don't you take your life, nobody would miss you anyways, nobody really loves you. Come on, all of us have felt those accusations. And what's crazy is if somebody was sitting next to us and said those things to us, we would recognize them for what they are, that they're just an accusation from somebody else. But sometimes because they come from this subtle part in our heart, we tend to believe it. And I'm just telling you, that is the enemy who is accusing you. That's what he does. He wants you to buy the lie of your value. And he's not just an accuser, but he's a deceiver. Part of the work of the enemy in our spiritual battle is to get you to buy the lie. He don't want you to know the truth of who God is, of how God feels about you, of our need of a savior, of our value and purpose in life. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. Come on, I want you to know that the enemy, his plan for you, he wants to ultimately, he wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to, that's what he does. He's a destroyer. And he's a tempter. Part of the way the enemy works is he wants to bait us to get us away from our relationship with God, away from our purpose and our plan that God has for us. He's a tempter. And so when you talk about demon possession, like I know that's a big topic that seems kind of surreal, but it doesn't always like really start there. The way the enemy works with every single person, no matter what extreme you're on and underestimating or overestimating, the enemy works through, first of all, just impressions. These subtle voices, these subtle whispers that all of us hear in the temptations, in the deceptions, in the lies, in the accusations, we all hear the whisper in our hearts, the impressions that the enemy wants to plant on the inside of us. And when you entertain those too long, when you don't fight the good fight of faith, when you don't wrestle through in your spiritual battle, when you don't lean on your savior, when you don't worship through it, I'm just telling you, the enemy can amp up that impression to an oppression where all of a sudden it becomes this incredibly heavy weight where you feel the weight of the oppression, you feel the weight of the lie, 
you feel the weight of the accusation. Some of you are watching this and you have felt exactly what I'm talking about, that you recognize it's not just a physical depression. You feel a cloud over you, like you wake up tired. You feel the weight and the constant discouragement. Like I have gone through personally seasons of oppression where I just felt like the fight went to a whole nother level. But ultimately, if the enemy continues to get his way, it's not just impressions and oppression, but ultimately, and we see in this story where the enemy just takes over in possession. And what I just want to just, I want us to see in this is, man, what's the answer? What's the solution? Because the way we're made up as people, we're a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the world has a lot of answers for some of the struggles that we face. And man, I'm thankful for doctors. I'm thankful for everybody that plays such a significant part in our well-being and our wholeness. And so when I'm talking about our body, when we're facing something in our body, right, we need medication for our body. If we're struggling in our mind, right, we need information for our mind. But what about when it's our spirit? There's medication for the body and information for the mind, but the only answer for our spirit is liberation. And I'm telling you, Jesus said in Luke chapter four, and this is for you, if you're struggling with, being, if, with feeling like an invisible person, or more importantly, you're struggling with an invincible problem, I want you to know that Jesus said in the battle that we all face, that he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He came to fight the fight we can't win, that in his strength, we are overcomers. Come on, somebody. That's why Jesus came. And so the battle's real. And so as we kind of dig in, I want you to know that this guy was facing a very real spiritual battle that he didn't have an answer for. Again, he's the invisible person with the invincible problem. As we check out this story, I just want to give you a couple of things real quick that I hope, man, it will help you if you're struggling, feeling like maybe the way this guy felt. Number one, you can write this down. This story that we're reading, this story tells us about the priorities of Jesus, Right? Anytime you follow somebody around, you can start to figure out who's important in their life, what's important in their life. You can hang out with somebody and right, you can look over their shoulder at the shows they're watching on TV, the phone calls they're making, the texts they're returning, and you can pretty much figure out who's important in their life, what they value. Come on, all of us, we all know people that when you're with them, those are the people that seem like they never put their phone down. But then when you text them when you're not with them, it takes them a day to get back. It's like, wait a minute. Well, what they're telling you is that maybe you're not the priority that you thought you were. But when you follow Jesus through this story, because it's not just about this man that was invisible and had a problem, it was really about Jesus. And what I want you to see is you follow Jesus through this story, you find out the priorities of Jesus, and not just for this man, but for you and for me. Mark chapter five, verse three says this, this man, this nameless forgotten, marginalized, nobody. He's not given a name. Lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Like this forgotten person living in a forsaken place. Again, like I wonder how many of us watching this have ever felt invisible. This guy, again, he's not given a name. The community had forgotten him. They, they couldn't deal with his problem. The problem was not only just too much for him, it was too much for them. And so he's living in burial caves. He's living among the tombs. He's not living a normal life. He's so overcome by his problem and everybody just forgets about him. Again, I wonder how many of you watching this, you feel that way sometimes. You feel forgotten. You feel overlooked. You feel marginalized. You feel unnamed. I'm not saying you don't have a name, but like people just don't know you because they just look right through you. 
But as we dig into this story and we follow the priorities of Jesus, I'm gonna give you the whole sandwich. <laughs> when I say the whole sandwich, come on, like, if, if I ask you what's your favorite sandwich, everybody starts talking about what, what goes in the sandwich. Like, we start talking about the toppings, you know, do we like peanut butter and jelly or if maybe we got some kind, of, some kind of sandwich, whether it's ham or bologna or whatever. Like we're talking about the toppings. We like lettuce and tomato. Do we like ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise? But did you know one of the most important parts of a good sandwich, come on, is the bread. It's the stuff that goes on the top and the bottom. And while this story that we read is really kind of the contents, I wanna give you the top and the bottom. I wanna give you the beginning and the end because it tells us something about the priorities of Jesus. See, the story, the story that we read, it really doesn't start in Mark 5. The story of this invisible person with an invincible problem doesn't start in Mark 5. It starts all the way back in Mark 4. In fact, I want you to see this Mark chapter 4, verse 35 is where the story starts, where it says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross, come on, to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in a boat and started out leaving the crowds behind. And some of you know this story. So again, Jesus, he's been ministering to literally thousands of people. He's on the side of this place called the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus looks at his disciple. He leaves this huge multitude behind. He gets in the boat and he travels across the Sea of Galilee. And again, on the Sea of Galilee, one of the things that we know happened is this huge storm got stirred up. The storm was so significant that some of the disciples who used to be fishermen, who knew what it was like to grow up on that sea, the storm was so overwhelming that they were afraid they were gonna die. I'm telling you, that's how crazy this storm was. And Jesus fights through the storm. He gets to the other side where our story picked up in Mark 5. Jesus ministers to this man, gives him the solution to his problem and then gets back in the boat and goes back where they came from. And so the other piece of bread, the other side of the sandwich is Mark 5, 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where the large crowd gathered around him on the shore. See, what I'm trying to tell you is, I'm trying to tell you something about the priorities of Jesus, where we feel forgotten and overlooked in the world we live. Some of you have been tagged as unimportant. Some of you feel the brand of being like not valuable and unimportant. What I want you to know is as you follow the priorities of Jesus is that Jesus was willing to leave the multitudes behind. He was willing to press through the storm. He was willing to go through the tombs to get to a person that was forgotten by everybody else. Jesus didn't get there to pick up a whole new crowd. Jesus went through all of that for one single person, which tells me that Jesus will face storms and go to forsaken places to deal with forgotten people. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, if you feel forgotten, if you feel like nobody sees you and you don't matter to anybody, that Jesus was willing to go through all of that for one person that his entire community had forgotten and forsaken. And man, I'm just telling you, that really is the story of the cross of Calvary, that Jesus stepped out of eternity into this dark, dusty earth and he endured the cross of Calvary. Why did he go through all of that? He did that for forgotten people like you and like me. He did it for people dealing with problems that were too big for us. And so when you read this story, you start to figure out, man, if Jesus, come on, man, if Jesus will go through all of that for that man, what will Jesus do for you? Because when you read through the stories of the gospels, what you find out is, come on, that Jesus gives as much attention to nameless people as he does famous people. 
See, this guy in the story we're talking about, again, he was unnamed. We have no idea what his name was. He's not the only unnamed person in the Gospels. He's not the only unnamed person that Jesus ministered to, that Jesus helped, that Jesus delivered in the stories of his life and ministry as recorded in the Gospels. Now, for sure, there's some named people, but there's also some nameless people. Now, I don't know about you guys, but come on. Y'all realize we live in a world full of preferential treatment where it's not always, right, what you know. Come on, it's who you know, or sometimes it's who knows you. I'm sure some of you probably realize this maybe happens from time to time. I think to all of us, I get the benefit of experiencing this where every now and then I've been on the receiving end of some preferential treatment. Uh, I went a couple years ago, my wife and I, we went to the movies and we walked into the movie theater and we thought we had left enough time to get, come on, because you got to get popcorn before you get a seat but there was a crazy line at the concession stand. And so we thought we were gonna miss the beginning of the movie. And so we're patiently waiting in line. And I'll never forget this guy that we didn't know worked there who was part of our faith church family came out. He happened to be a manager of the theater and he waved us up to the front of the line and served us. We got our stuff paid and went into the theater. Come on, that's some preferential treatment. And if you ever feel like you're invisible, the last thing you'll ever think is that somebody will see you and care about you. But again, because we're talking about Jesus, I'm just telling you, the priorities we find, about, find out about Jesus in this story is Jesus sees the people that feel invisible. And not just here, but again, throughout the gospels. There are named people and there are nameless people. There are nameless people and there are famous people. There are people like Jairus that the Bible tells us was the ruler of the synagogue. Surely Jesus would deal with somebody as important with him. But Jesus doesn't just deal with the ruler of the synagogue. He gives equal treatment, not preferential treatment. He gives equal treatment to the woman who sat by the well. Not just loving and helping a broken man, the ruler of the synagogue, but a forgotten nobody, a Samaritan woman who was a prostitute hanging out by a well. See, I'm just telling you, Jesus, he cares about everybody. He cares about the forgotten, the forsaken, and the invisible. There's a story about Nicodemus. We find out about Nicodemus that he's a squillionaire. This guy is carrying mad money. And Jesus comes, man, he has an encounter where his life is radically changed because of this encounter with Christ. And you would say, well, yeah, I mean, for sure. Well, Jesus is dealing with rich people, but man, what about me? And again, we find in this story that Jesus doesn't just deal with rich people and named people and famous people like Nicodemus, but he's able to minister and willing to love people who are bankrupt and have nothing to offer, just like this person who's demon-possessed and nameless. Come on, what I'm telling you is that you might feel forsaken, you might feel marginalized, you might feel forgotten, you might be overlooked by people in relationship, you might be devalued by people you're working with, but I'm just telling you, listen, what I want you to know today is when you follow Jesus in the gospels in this story, what we find out is that you are not invisible to Jesus. He sees you. See, the first encounter really in this story wasn't when Jesus got off the boat on the seashore on the side where the man was. Jesus was willing to leave the other side because Jesus knew that man was there. Again, he, he faced storms and he went to forsaken places so he could minister to forgotten people. And the Jesus we're talking about today is the same. And he will walk into your forsaken place and he'll minister to people like you who feel forgotten. 
as you move through this, right, not only does this story tell us about the priorities of Jesus that he sees in visible people, but it tells us, come on, about the power of Jesus that not only does he remember forgotten people, come on, not only does he deal with and go chase after invisible people, but come on, he can deal with the invincible problem that you're facing. Sometimes we wrestle through things that just feel way too big for us. All of us feel the stress when we get the phone call or we open the mail. Again, sometimes we hear the tag or we wear the title. Sometimes we don't know how to get out from underneath of it. We don't know how to overcome it. And for sure you've tried. For sure I've been in situations where I've put all of my effort into it and I just couldn't get over the hump. And again, what you find in this story about this nameless man who's demon-possessed is even though he couldn't free himself and even though his community couldn't do anything else to help him, so all they did was push him into some graves to live. Come on, that Jesus showed up and did what nobody else could do to set this person free. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each four of those gospels are written for a very specific reason. They're all kind of biographies of the life of Jesus. They are all complementary, which means many of the four gospels tell the same stories, but each of them are told with a unique perspective. And some of them have different details that other gospel writers leave out. Again, it's not a contradiction. It's a, it's a complementary information. However, again, each gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are each writing to a very distinctive audience. And the story we're reading is found in all three, of the, all three of the four Gospels, but specifically we're reading it in Mark because it really has something powerful to learn. See, when you read Matthew, Matthew was written primarily to Jewish people to reveal Jesus as the promised Messiah. That's why there are more Old Testament scriptures in Matthew than any of the other Gospels. Basically, as you read through it, you find there are all these prophecies in the Old Testament prophesying a Messiah that would one day come. And so Matthew writes to his Jewish readers saying, hey, Jesus is the one, and look at all these prophecies he's fulfilled. Luke, Luke didn't write to Jewish people. Luke wrote to non-Jewish people, specifically the Greeks. If you know anything about Greeks, Greeks were always on a pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. And so the purpose that Luke wrote was he, he wrote to a Greek audience to reveal Jesus as the fulfillment of wisdom, which is why there's more parables in the gospel of Luke than any of the other gospels. John, John wrote his gospel to a general audience and the purpose that he wrote it was so Jesus could be revealed as the son of God, as God in the flesh. That's why there are more, uh, there's more declarations of who Jesus is, where Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the vine. It's all these ways of Jesus saying like, I'm the only one as God in the flesh that can claim these titles. Mark, Mark wrote to a Roman audience and Rome understood one thing and they understood authority. They understood that Caesar was large and in charge. And so the purpose that Mark wrote his gospel was as Roman readers read the story of Jesus, they would find out there is somebody who had even more authority than Jesus. And that's why Mark records more miracles than anybody else because Jesus stood up and displayed that he had more authority than Caesar and Jesus was the answer to every problem. He was a solution to anybody, anything we're going through. Come on, that's why this gospel was written. In fact, as you read through it, the story records that nobody could help this man. Nobody knew how to help him. At some point, this man went from some level of normalcy to this possession where his life started being lived out of control. 
At some point, society and culture around him tried to help him, and then all they could do was try to chain him up to keep him from hurting them and maybe hurting himself. And finally, they just abandon this guy, and they leave him, again, living nameless, alone in the tombs. And you're like, man, that's, that's crazy, because these guys had no idea what to do. But again, the reason that this is written in the Gospel of Mark is telling us is that Again, in the story where, where nobody could help this guy, I'm telling you, you might feel like nobody can help you, that you can't help yourself. But the reason we can read this story and find hope from it is the same way we learn the priorities of Jesus that he sees invisible people, is that we learn the power of Jesus, that he can deal with invincible problems. I'm telling you, your problem might be too big for you. Come on, I wish somebody at home would help me with this. Come on, some of you was dealing with a situation that you didn't know the way out of, that you couldn't overcome, and Jesus showed up, and here you are on the other side. Jesus made a way for you. Jesus set you free of a habit. Jesus moved you past an addiction. Jesus restored something that was broken in your life that you didn't think could ever be put back together. That's who Jesus is. He has more authority than anybody else. Come on. In fact, watch this, Mark chapter 5. Verse 9, this Jesus gets off the boat. This demon-possessed man sees Jesus and goes running to Jesus, bows down before him, and we catch a glimpse of the conversation that transpired. Mark chapter 5 tells us that then Jesus demanded, what is your name? Isn't that crazy? What's your name? Now, we are learned he's nameless. We don't know his name, and we don't get the man's name here. We get the demon. This is, I know, kind of crazy, but basically the picture is that this man speaks and what comes out of his mouth isn't his voice, but it's the voice of not just one demon, but multiple demons speaking through him. Because he replies, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Now, I'm just going to tell you, anytime Jesus asks a question, anytime God asks a question recorded in Scripture, God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. Jesus, God in the flesh, he knows everything. And so when he asks this man, really talking to the demons inside him, what's your name? Jesus isn't looking for information for him. He's looking for information for the man he's talking to. Anytime Jesus asks a question, it's not for his information, it's for our information. See, what I'm trying to tell you is this, is that what Jesus was doing when he asked this man this question was he was establishing his authority over this man's problem. It's, it's kind of like this. I, I'm sure some of you at, at home can relate to this. For you that have currently or have had kids living at home, anytime I talk about our house with my kids, I want to make sure that they know that it's their house too. I want, them, I want them to feel welcome in their home. Hey, this is our home. Come on. But sometimes I got to lay down the law and make sure that they know, hey, this is our house, but really at the end of the day, this is, come on, this is, this is my house, right? And so the way I do that is if, if my kids decide they want to do something to the house or to their room or whatever that I don't agree with, then here's the question I ask them. Whose house is this? Now, anytime I ask my kids that question, who is this house, just like Jesus I'm not looking for information for me. I'm looking for information for my kids to have the, hey, this isn't your house to do what with what you want. This is my house and there's some limitations. When Jesus asked this demon-possessed man, what's your name? What he's saying is, listen, it doesn't matter what your name is. Jesus is saying, come on, trump card. I have the highest name. Paul later writes about Jesus that he's been given the name above every name. 
that every name given on earth, above the earth and under the earth, it bows at the name of Jesus. Come on, that one day every tongue is gonna confess, every knee is gonna bow at the name of Jesus. I'm just telling you, listen, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what your chains are, but I'm telling you, you might feel like an invisible person, but Jesus sees you. And you might feel like you have an invincible problem. While that problem has, is bigger than you and has more authority than you, there is somebody, come on, that has more authority than the problem and the name is Jesus. And if Jesus cared enough to step onto that place where that man was forsaken and forgotten, I'm telling you, he cares enough to step into your situation. And Jesus is big enough to do something with your problem. And as you go through this story, man, the, again, this guy says, hey, my, my name is Legion. Like this guy's not even talking anymore. He is, he's defined. He's defined by the situation he's in. His, his problem is speaking louder than his personality. Have you ever felt that way that sometimes, right, your, your life is defined by your dilemma? That if people even see you, you feel invisible, but if they see you, all they see is your problem. All they see is your brokenness. Like you're only known for your divorce or you're only known for your habit. Come on, some of you have been labeled and branded and tagged and, and you feel like that's all people know about you. People don't even know your name anymore. They just, they just know you're an addict. They know you're broken. They know you're whatever. And this guy, right, he comes up and Jesus asks him, what's, what's your name? And this guy's not speaking out of his personality. He's speaking out of his problem. I'm just telling you, I'm believing Jesus is gonna flip the script in your life that we're not gonna speak out of our problem. We're gonna speak out of our potential. And so Jesus shows up and ultimately, man, he sets this guy free. And again, I, I know as we read this, the gap of who this guy is and who we are, it feels like it's, it's hard to bridge because maybe you're reading this with me or you're listening to this message and you feel like, come on, pastor, like I get it, but I'm not a demon-possessed person living among the tombs, bound with chains, cutting myself with rocks. But I'm just telling you, you can try to disassociate yourself from this guy, but this guy's story for a lot of us is our story because you might not be living among the tombs, but come on, some of you watching this, you're living in dead places. You're hanging out with dead people. Come on, what I'm telling you is like the people you're running with, they're not giving you life, they're tearing you down. The places you're going to, come on, they're, they're not giving you life, they're, they're taking life from you. Some of you may not be bound with physical chains like this guy was, but come on, some of us, we got our own chains. Some of our chains are all kinds of addictions. Some of our chains are pornography. Some of our chains are pills. Some of our chains are other habits. And we may not be cutting ourselves with physical stones, but come on, I know some of us are hurting ourselves in ways and we get to the other side of doing it again and we look back and we keep saying like, why did I let myself do that again? I told myself I wouldn't do that. I told myself and we keep hurting ourselves. What I'm telling you is like, it's, it's hard some, on some level to associate with this guy, but in a lot of ways, man, we are just like him. We are struggling with habits and disappointments, and heartaches. Come on again, problems that feel invincible, putting us in situations where we feel invisible. And when you read the story, you find out that Jesus sees invisible people. And Jesus is the answer for invincible problems. 
and the story concludes, starts to wrap up after Jesus has a really radical encounter with this guy, the same kind of encounter I'm praying that you will experience, that you'll be rebranded by your redeemer. Mark 5, 15, he says this, that after this encounter with Christ, this man who was demon-possessed and unnamed, he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And all the people who had basically forgotten him, they were all afraid. Like they were, they were so shocked at the turnaround of this guy. Like they were stunned, like how... Like their minds were blown. How can this guy be that guy that was living among the tombs that was demon possessed? I'm just telling you, man, when you have an encounter with Christ, your life will be unrecognizable. See, some of you don't even see how you get through the problem. I'm telling you, God can do something so big in your life. When you get to the other side, you won't even be recognizable by some of the people who have forgotten you now. But the cool part is in this, in this story is the Bible says that this guy ultimately, he was at one point naked and now it says he's fully clothed. And while I don't think anybody, hopefully, is watching this running around literally naked, figuratively, I think sometimes our brands and our tags and our titles that other people put on us, they kind of strip us in a very, not in a literal way, but in this figurative way, like we get stripped of our dignity, we get stripped of our value, we get stripped of our purpose, and I'm just telling you, when you have an encounter with Christ, one of the things that Jesus will do is he'll make sure when he steps in, he not only makes sure that the invisible is seen, but he makes sure the vulnerable are dressed. And he'll dress you with dignity, and he'll dress you with purpose, and he'll dress you with value. And again, even though you were invisible, dealing with a problem that was invincible, when Jesus showed up, come on, man, this guy was transformed. He was set free because not only is rejected people accepted and weak people strong. What we find out is when we come and have a relationship with the Redeemer, we get rebranded from being bound to being liberated and set free. And so my prayer as I wrap this up today is that if you're in the place where you're saying, man, I, I never saw myself in that place, but yeah, that's me. I, I feel forgotten. I feel invisible. I feel overlooked. Nobody cares about me. And I'm facing a problem that's way too big for me. Nobody can help me. I'm telling you, Jesus, he sees invisible people and he overcomes invincible problems. But you gotta meet him halfway. Actually, you don't even have to meet him halfway, but you gotta step out and meet him. The last verse I want you to see in this is Mark 5, 15. Again, think about this. Jesus left the multitude. He got in the boat, went through a storm, came to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and stepped out to meet this man. Jesus went all of that way. And then it says this, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. I want y'all to say this at home with me, right? The man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. I'm telling you, listen, so even though Jesus came all that way, it still took that man running that short distance and bowing down before Jesus, and that's where he found freedom. What I'm saying is that our solution is in our sprint, and it's in our submission, that our help is in the hustle and in the humility, that like I'm telling you, don't wait. Today's an opportunity for you to find freedom. Today's the chance for you to find liberation. Don't put it off. I'm telling you, run to Jesus. That's what this man did, and he didn't just see him and run to him. The Bible says he bowed low before him, that if we'll humble ourselves before a mighty God, the Bible says he'll lift us up in due time. 
And so for all the invisible people, all the forgotten people, all the overlooked people, for all of you that are bound with chains that are way too big for you to break, I wanna just challenge you to just to take a step in his direction and he'll meet you right where you are. And so I just wanna lead you in a prayer, man. I'm praying that freedom will step into your heart and that freedom will step into your home as I pray. Jesus, I thank you for the example of this man who was forgotten by society, but remembered by you, dealing with a problem that was too big for him, but never too big for you. And he found freedom and liberty. And I pray for every single person watching this that are dealing with the same kind of problems, defined by the same kind of dilemmas, that right now in Jesus' name, your presence would move right behind the screen, move right into their heart and into their home. And I pray God set people at liberty. And Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody who agrees said amen. Hey, listen, man, love you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for being here as part of our Faith Church family for one of our weekend worship experiences. Make sure you come back next week for the final week in this series, Rebranded. Before we tune off, I wanna challenge you. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which just means if you'll call out to him, he'll meet you right where you are. And the grace we need and the forgiveness we need is found in him. If you pray that prayer, I just wanna encourage you to take a minute and text ALIVE, A-L-I-V-E, to 97000. It'll give you a text, which will give you some information over the next several days that'll help you in your new spiritual journey and your relationship with God. God bless you guys, man. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week for one of our weekend worship experiences.